Hello, and welcome to the Anchor Discipleship Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word with this lesson. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's lesson. Footsteps of Messiah, and in your book, I want you to turn to 114, Place of Destruction. Okay, so we got halfway through it. We named the player Russia, Iran, different people like that that are all involved. Turkey, obviously, uh, the Caspian Sea peoples, uh, Ethiopia, Sudan, Somalia, Libya, different people like that. So they're going to invade Israel for their spoils. We talked about Psalm 83 happening prior to this. And so here we are smack dab in the middle of the war and they've attacked and God has destroyed the army supernaturally. So we pick up in, in page 114, Ezekiel 39, 1 through 6 on the top of that page. And it says this, and you son of man prophesy against God and say, thus says the Lord Yahweh or Jehovah, behold, I am against you, O Gog, Prince of Rosh. We said that was Russia, Mishak. That's the etymology is Moscow. And, or it turns into that. And Tubal Tobolsk is the eastern leg of, of Russia. And I will turn you about and will lead you on and it will cause you to come up from the uttermost parts of the north. And I will bring you upon the mountains of Israel. We talked about the mountains of Israel last week. And I will smite you, smite your bow out of your left hand and will cause thine arrows to fall out of your right hand. You shall fall upon the mountains of Israel. Notice again, the mountains is referred to again. This was important for Israel to reestablish the mountains when they got there and take control of that. That happened in 1967 in the Six-Day War. You and all your hordes and the peoples that are with you. Now watch this. I will give you unto the ravenous birds of every sort and to the beasts of the fields to be devoured. You shall fall upon the open field, for I have spoken it, says the Lord Yahweh. Now, we looked last week at the destruction of them. God rains down a shower of fire and brimstone and destroys these armies supernaturally. Israel does nothing militarily, nothing at all. And that's important. Psalm 83 was done militarily through Israel. Okay, So the, the, the problem Israel always has is this. That when they're victorious, they always want to take it upon them and say, look what we did. And they always brag about how great they are, but they never will give Yahweh the credit when he wins victories for them. Psalm 83, they win victories, they extend their borders, and again, it doesn't cause anything in Israel as a revival. This war comes second, and the Israeli military doesn't even move. So I don't know if they're caught off guard, but they don't even fight. This happens. They're smothered. They're on the brink of annihilation. And God rains down fire and brimstone and destroys these armies. Okay, and the armies fall specifically on the mountains of Israel. So if you have your handout from last week, I think I gave you a map. I want to refer that to you again so you can see where the bodies will be. And you should have a map that looks something like this. Those mountains then, if you look at from the top of, you know, where you see Megiddo, and then you go down, you follow, you follow it down, and you see Jerusalem, Bethlehem, and you keep going down all the way to number four, and number four is Beersheba. All that area is called the mountains of Israel. 
So that's where the attack happens, but that's where the dead bodies lay. And if you see the topography there, the mountains of Israel are not smooth. If you've ever been to Israel, they're very rocky. There's a lot of crevices and cracks, and it's jagged, and it's very difficult terrain to get through. Very difficult. And because of that, the bodies will be, that's the place where the bodies will fall and die. And so the first thing that God does to help Israel out in cleaning up this mess is he sends the birds and the wild animals to eat the carcasses. And that's going to help Israel to some degree. As he, he's mentioned it, he's basically having a feast for the birds, the ravenous birds and, and the animals. So after the birds eat the bodies, and we're talking I don't, upward maybe in the millions between all these armies invading Israel, to help Israel out in the cleanup, the birds and the, the ravenous animals will reduce the bodies to bones, basically. It's what God's trying to do. It's going to help Israel in gathering up these bodies. It also leaves Israel with a, a, a situation where their land becomes unclean if these bodies are not buried very quickly. So something has to be done. So God's helping them out in the process of that. So let's go to the next page. And again, these mountains were only captured by Israel and controlled by Israel uh, in 1967. Before then, you couldn't talk like this. They did not have control of these mountains. So this passage implies that Israel has control of the mountain areas. Okay, and then he goes uh, on page 115, I think we are. Uh, it says in the middle, on the top middle, and I will send a fire on Magog and all them that dwell securely in the isles, and they shall know that I am Yahweh. Now that's very interesting. Not only does God destroy the armies who invade, he destroys the areas from which they come. It's not going to be safe for these armies, even if they're stationed back in their home country. God will go after them where they're from. So if there's armies still left in Russia, they will be wiped out. If there's armies still left in Persia, he will wipe them out. He will wipe out where they come from. So that's a thing that paves the way for the one world government. There is no remnant of Russia left. There are no Muslims left. Psalm 83 and Gog and Magog have completely wiped out all Islamic armies. So the solution to Islam is God. That's what's going to finally take out the Muslims. It's God. No, no human government is ever going to have a solution for Islam. They will continue to do what they're doing until Psalm 83 happens and Gog and Magog. And so even if Muslims stay back in the country and they hate Israel and they're for the war, God will send that, that punishment to them right there in Persia, right there in Iran if they stayed in Iran, right up there in Siberia. If they stayed in Siberia and they thought they could hide from the judgment of God, he sends that fire and brimstone into that country and destroys them. God is completing his judgment and it's ensuring that the one world government can form. So it's pretty amazing. Now we go to the sanctification of God's name. This is why it causes a revival. Read this in Ezekiel 39, 7, 8. And my holy name will I make known in the midst of my people Israel. Notice he's calling them Israel my people. Neither will I suffer my holy name to be profaned anymore. 
And the nations, or the goyim, the Gentile nations, shall know that I am Yahweh, the Holy One, where in Israel. That is specific to referring to him being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob did this. To be specific. When people say, oh yeah, I believe in God, what God do you believe in? You have to believe in the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The one that produced Yeshua HaMashiach, the Jewish Messiah. It's not the God of the Hindus. It's not the God of the Mormons or the Jehovah Witnesses or anything like that. And everybody will know this after this is done. God is ensuring that this will. Behold, it comes and it shall be done, says the Lord Yahweh. This is the day whereof I have spoken. There is no doubt in anyone's mind who did this. Okay, why would God do this? This is prior to the tribulation. This is pre-tribulational events. So why is God sending a message not only to Israel, but the entire planet about this invasion? He is wanting Israel and along with the Goyim nations to come back into revival and get saved because guess what? If you thought this was bad, you have no idea what's coming. The tribulation is about to occur. And he wants to give them a last chance to get themselves right. This revival, you'll see, does spur a revival in Israel and a lot of Jews get saved. So this idea then is God is full of grace and mercy and giving people as many chances as they possibly can before hell comes to earth and the wrath of God poured out. So that's God's grace, man. And no one will ever be able to say, you didn't give me a chance. I didn't see anything. He's going to say, you saw me rain down fire and brimstone and destroy every Muslim on this planet. Was that not enough miracle for you that I exist? Is that not enough? And sure enough, there won't be people, I need to see, see more. There's always going to be people like that, right? Always. But no one will have any excuse. That's why Scripture says no one is without excuse. And in this kind of miracle, for goodness sake. Okay, anyway, now we, we turn into... Uh, the seven years of burning after that. And Ezekiel 39, 9-10 says, And they that dwell in the cities of Israel shall go forth, and shall make fires of the weapons and burn them, both the shields and the bucklers, the bows and the arrows and the handstaves and the spears, and they shall make fires of them seven years. There's a timing element right there, and you need to underline that. That's huge. That tells you something that this cannot occur in the tribulation. I'll talk about that in just a second. So that they shall take no wood out of the field, neither cut down any out of their forest, for they shall make fires of the weapons, and they shall plunder those that plunder them, and rob those that rob them, says the Lord Yahweh. So he's done, he's done a reversal. Okay. The weapons it talks about if Ezekiel is seeing this, or whether he's getting information to write down, John had visions in Revelation. Ezekiel, I'm not sure if he had a vision, or if he is getting just direct revelation, write this down, and he's, he's writing whatever he's told down. John, I know, is seeing things, because he says, I saw in a vision. If Ezekiel saw in a vision like John, how else would a guy who lived 2,500 years ago explain modern warfare weapons? There's no other words he could use that were available to him in Hebrew to explain a machine gun or to explain, you know, 
something, a drone or, or what. He would know how to explain it. So what the biblical writers will use is use the language of their day, even in prophecy, to explain things about future events. And so you have to extrapolate that. He's saying, I'm seeing warfare. This is in the last days. And the warfare they're using, Israel ends up burning, and they're not burning their trees. In essence, what he is saying is, the weapons are used as a fuel of energy for them. And Israel will not have to turn to their natural resources for energy for seven years because of all this weaponry that is left on there. And so Israel, you know, Israel right now is developing a lot of solar power, but they will derive power and fuel from these machines and weapons of war rather than using their own natural resources. They won't have to do anything like that. I'll give you another example of this weapon stuff. Jeremiah, when we get to Babylon, this, could be, this is going to be probably next year, when we get to the destruction of Babylon, he says that the arrows that were used to destroy Babylon, he mentions that they're arrows, but that the arrows, the Hebrew word, is saying that the arrows have intelligence in and of themselves. It's not the guy firing the arrow that has intelligence, it's the arrows that are coming from the bow has intelligence. They're smart. Now, I mean, I think you can make a, a, a good case that Jeremiah, in describing warfare into the future, he's describing smart bombs. He's describing drones or laser-guided missiles and, and things like that. He says, I, they look like an arrow, but all I can tell you is the intelligence rests within the arrow itself. Well, I mean, there you go. That's modern warfare. And he says, that's what destroys Babylon in the future in one hour. So all that to say is I, I think what you see is that they will try to use the best language available to them. Remember, in Hebrew, there's only 3,000 words available to them. It's not an extensive vocabulary in Hebrew. So they will use the word, and this is why it's important in your, in your hermeneutics to understand Hebrew. Hebrew doesn't, again, like Greek, doesn't have a lot of words available to it. So therefore, it will use a word multiple times, but you have to determine the word not by the definition of the word, but by the context that the word is sitting in. Because it'll use a word multiple times in different contexts. So the mistake a lot of Bible students make is that they'll take their Hebrew lexicon and find a definition of a word and say, well, that's what that word means. Not realizing that's not how you study Hebrew. You have to study within the context because the context is determined the name of the word or the way the word's being used. And so Hebrew's a little bit different. And so I think especially when you see Ezekiel, he's using the best vocabulary he possibly can to describe modern warfare. But notice the timing element in that? Seven years. Okay, so that implies several things. The old guard of prophecy teachers, you say, well, this war is going to happen in the tribulation. This war is going to happen at the midpoint of the tribulation. This, this war is going to happen at, the, at, at Armageddon. This is Armageddon, they would say. And this is going to happen, I've had people say it's, it's happens between the interlude, between the second coming and the millennium. Or people will say, well, this happens in Revelation 20, uh, 20 at the end of the millennium. And they're like, wait a second, time out. You have to back up and look at this war contextually, and you will find it doesn't match any other wars in Revelation, Daniel, or anywhere else. It's, it's unique to itself. And the timing mechanism is the seven years. Now, why is that important? 
If you study the tribulation when we get into it, Israel is not allowed to live in peace only but three and a half years under Antichrist protection. After three and a half years, Antichrist goes nuts, proclaims himself to be God, and then starts his attack on Israel, and like Tom was mentioning in Zechariah 13, wipes out two-thirds of them, and they're scattered. This could not happen where they're cleaning up the materials and the bodies that for seven years in the tribulation because Israel's on the run. They could not do it. So I think now we get more specific about things and we start seeing that, oh, this must be pre-tribulational. And that becomes uh, where why we say this cannot be in the tribulation. It has to be prior to the tribulation, just like Psalm 83, based on the timing mechanism. I cannot imagine that this would not be fulfilled. If it says seven years, it means seven years. It does. I know, like guys like Hal Lindsey, and I respect guys like that. That say, well, they say it's at the midpoint, and and the, for the first three and a half years, Israel's cleaning up the body, and then they just say, well, you know, it, they would clean it up for the next three and a half years, but they're on the run, and so it just kind of dissolves. And it's like, no, it doesn't work that that way. I think the scriptures, when they say seven years, it's seven years. Here's the thing: we could see this. It's possible we can see this. We could be raptured prior to this. We raptured tonight. But it's possible that this all can go down right in front of our very faces because you're only promised to be raptured prior to the tribulation, not prior to Gog and Magog. This is why it's extremely important to watch Russia, to watch the Middle East, to watch Iran and these deals we're cutting because we're living in that very day. Okay, we got that. And so let's go to the next page, the burial. Page 116, the seven months of burial. Ezekiel 39:11 through 16 says this, And it shall come to pass in that day that I will give unto Gog a place for burial. Notice where it's at. In Israel. The play, the, their burial, their cemetery is going to be in Israel. The valley of them that pass through on the east of the sea. The east of the sea is the Mediterranean. And it shall stop them that pass through. So there's so many bodies. And, and because of this mass grave, you cannot do any transportation through this area. It's so large of a cleanup area. And there they shall bury Gog and all his multitude, and they shall call it the Valley of Haman Gog, the multitude of God, basically. And seven months shall the house of Israel be burying them. Notice the house of Israel. That means all of Israel. So this is what it implies. That every professional, every soldier, everybody on the land of Israel stops doing what they're doing and starts cleaning up dead bodies. Public transportation stops. Everything stops to clean up these dead bodies. Why? I want you to write out into the side a word, a Hebrew word, and I'm going to spell it for you. It's H-A-L-A-K-H-A. H-A-L-A-K-H-A. Halakha. This is the reference is Numbers 19, 11 through 22, and Deuteronomy 21, 1 through 9. That's Numbers 19, 11 through 22, and Deuteronomy 21, 1 through 9. Numbers, numbers 19, verses 11 through 22, and then Deuteronomy 21, verses 1 through 9, 
talk about ritual impurity of the land and what Israel's supposed to do. Okay, so as I mentioned last week, the halakha, they already have a group in Israel today that cleans up suicide bombings. And they go around and they clean up all the bodies because they don't want the body parts defiling the land. Notice, in, if you notice on Israel's uh, funerals, they don't string them out like we do here in America. If they die, the next day, they bury them. They, they do not let a body rest above that ground. They will bit them into to burial because of ritual impurity. They, you know, even, even in Jesus' day, they were already putting them in the tombs immediately. They wanted them down. Uh, like they wanted Jesus' body down and put into a tomb. Even Lazarus' body was put into a tomb. So they will not mess around with exposing a dead body. So those laws are still into effect in their minds. Even though you and I know the Mosaic Law is rendered inoperative, they still go by it, and they have actually people today that do this. So the whole Israel will be about this, doing this, to cleanse the land. And he goes, Yea, all the people of the land shall bury them. So again, everybody's doing this. And it shall be to them a renown in the day that I shall be glorified, says the Lord Yahweh. And they shall set apart men of continual employment. So notice they start an industry because of this. And they're going to be employed, and they're going to continue to do it. And it says this, that they shall pass through the land, and with them that pass through, those that bury them that remain upon the face of the land, to what? Cleanse it. Halakha. So, it gets into the point of them hiring people to do this. And they that pass through the land shall pass through, and when any sees a man's bone, why is there bones? Because the animals ate the carcasses. The animals helped out the process. So basically what's left are bones. Then shall he set up a sign by it. So these guys do the markings of where the body. So apparently a crew comes behind them, they find the markers, and then they can clean the bodies up. Till the barriers have buried it in the valley of Hamon Gog. So there's even a group of the, uh, who actually buries these bodies in this mass grave. And Hamanoah shall also be the name of the city. This is a, like a boomtown city. It just pops up out of nowhere. Thus shall they cleanse the land. So you tell me, could that be going on during the tribulation with fire and brimstone raining out of the sky, cosmic disturbances, the moon and sun becoming dark, then Antichrist going on his rampage? No way could that occur, especially the cleanup, if you're being hunted down. This appears to be at a time of peace where Israel's not, a, not worried about being attacked. Because think about it. When it says all Israel, that includes all military. So everyone stops what they're doing, drops everything. They're not even guarding themselves to clean up these bodies because of Halakha. So it implies Israel is sitting in a very good position and they're not afraid anymore. Thanks for joining us for another episode of The Anchor Discipleship. We hope that this message is a blessing to you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. Rock Harbor Church has two other podcasts. The first is called The Anchor Sunday Sermons and is filled with pastors' Sunday messages. And the second is The Anchor Bible Study. It's filled with past and continuing Bible studies preached during our Wednesday evening services. If you enjoyed this message and would like to hear them, 
please check the description of this episode or search your favorite podcast streaming services. Rock Harbor Church also has a print-to-order merchandise store. You can shop for Rock Harbor merch at rockharborchurch.store. Support for all three of our podcasts comes from your generous gifts and donations. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website, rockharborchurch.net. Keep looking up for our redemption draws near. God bless.